Well, all right, all right. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Can-Am Soup Podcast. I'm Todd. And I'm Jeremy. And we want to welcome you to episode two. So, uh, you know, this is our second episode, Jeremy. Really enjoyed our first. I think uh, it went really well. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny because doing this, and this is kind of... I've never done a podcast before where we both have like the same equipment and decent equipment and, you know, kind of listening to our first files. Uh, I haven't fully edited them, them yet, but it's funny that even now it's like, man, there's a few things I can tell. I think my mic was a little too hot in the last episode, um, but it's, it's a little trial. These are going to get better. Uh, ultimately, the, the goal is to have really good, high quality audio. I think that's important. And uh, for the listeners you know, it obviously matters a lot. And I think you and I have both done a good job at investing in equipment to make at least that part of it uh, the best. You know, there's some podcasts, they could be really fascinating. But if if it's just like a, a terrible cell phone call, it's hard to listen to, you know, so I think, uh, you know, we have to work on the content side and make sure it's interesting. But at least I always think if you're going to do a podcast, you should give yourself at least that one up of having good sounding audio so that you know, if you, if you do figure out the right right combination of stuff that people want to listen to, it's going to be a better experience. You know, just kind of, I feel like doing it without good audio is kind of like shooting yourself in the foot and then trying to run the race right after that, you know? Oh, no, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I know a couple of podcasts that uh, have, you know, they just do it right on their phone or with a little handheld recorder and they have fascinating information and or conversations, but you can't hear them very well and then yeah. also listen to or used to listen to one you know they have probably a million dollar studio and they talk about nothing yeah i want to be right there in the middle with um intellectually stimulating uh conversation between the two of us uh along with good equipment mm-hmm and I guess, too, for those listening, uh, whenever I hear certain people talk about their technical equipment, uh, I always want to know because that's just who I am. So just for the listener, if you're one of those inquisitive persons, uh, both Todd and myself, we each have a Rodecaster Pro. And then we've even gone so far as we've matched up our microphones. Uh, we're using the Shure SM58. Uh, just a little tidbit. I know a lot of times you'll hear podcasts and I always wonder, like, what are they using? You know, and it's not that I'm going to buy that, but I, I want to know what that sounds like. So. If you like the sound of the audio on on this podcast, that's what we're currently using, just as an FYI. And then we're also recording this via Squadcast, uh, squadcast.fm. It allows you to record uh, audio files on each person's computer. So even though, you know, I'm in Canada and you're in the United States, uh, the recording is coming right from your computer. So we don't have any of that internet garble on the file. And then after we're done recording, we hit the stop button. Uh, those files are uploaded and we can download them to our computers and then we've got clean audio files to work with. So just a little tidbit for those that are interesting, inter- or listening that might be interested. So what's happening with you this week there, Todd? Uh, this week's been, uh, you know, a tough one. Found out a good friend of ours has, has cancer. So we're helping, helping her with that. Um, I'm trying to get ready for surgery. Coming up, uh, another one on my back. This will be the third. And trying to deal with a uh, a tree issue that we had to uh, get removed before it fell on our uh, utility lines. Mm-hmm. 
And that's, well, that's, been, that's been a story, hasn't it? <laughs> you know, for the, I, I'll catch up the audience on this. Had a tree that the, we were told by the one of the two people we got a uh, uh, felling estimate from, oh, that's an old ash. It's actually a red oak, pretty big one too. Uh, and one of the branches had either been struck by lightning or just, it was such a big limb, it broke off the tree. And the whole tree is leaning anyway because it's on a uh, an eroding hillside. And it was just in imminent danger of taking out our electric, phone, internet, everything. But even though it was an imminent threat, our utility company said, you know, we won't cut it yet because it's not touching the line. <laughs> All right, so I get the one guy out to give me an estimate you know professional tree service um and well i'll just tell the audience it was two thousand six hundred dollars american just to cut down a tree i said well no thank you i'll i'll see you never and uh, had the second guy come out give me an estimate it was you know 650 bucks oh you know that sounds more reasonable you know i would love to do this cut the tree down myself but you know i'm facing back surgery so i don't want to make it any worse yeah and uh so he keeps you know i say okay the job's yours when can we do this and this was on a friday he said next weekend not this not tomorrow weekend but the following weekend no problem and you know we're just doing what we do um of the over that weekend Monday, my wife had an appointment. Tuesday, I had to drive two hours to a doctor's appointment. And he texted me while I'm at my appointment saying, hey, can I come do this tree now? Uh, No, you said you'd be here in four more days. You know, I don't mind you being early, but give me a day's notice. So if I need to reschedule something, because I need to be there when you're cutting down the tree, because, you know, it's my house, my property, and the electrical lines, you know. Mm. You only trust people only so far until I see you're competent, right? Yeah, yeah, makes sense. You know, so that weekend comes when he's supposed to be here, doesn't show up. Text me, oh, I didn't have help today. Can I come tomorrow? Which would be Sunday. Sure, no problem. You know, we're here all day Sunday. Sunday comes and goes, and it's about one or two in the afternoon i still haven't heard from him three haven't heard from him text him hey dude you're gonna come today oh i forgot we have to go to a birthday party and when were you gonna tell me so a a third tree service but you know I'm, i'm living in a very rural area not a whole lot of professional tree services around well, the guy finally shows up, and he starts at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Here we are, you know, with winter hitting, so it gets dark here about 5, 5.30. I'm like, uh, okay, let's see what you can get done. <clears throat> so he cuts until 8.30 that night. The next day was just pouring down. We had a torrential downpour associated with one of the hurricane outer bands that came through uh, about a month ago or what, how, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, so 
he cut the tree on Tuesday. Wednesday, he couldn't be here. He was supposed to come by Thursday, but it, it was just soaking wet and then started raining a torrential downpour again that wasn't in the forecast. Uh, he's like, I said, you know, I don't want your uh, equipment in the back because my septic is back there and the uh, backyard is flooded anyway. So, you know, can we hold off until it dries up a little before you start driving your bobcat all over it? And he's like, yeah, sure. But I, I want to at least come get my trailer because I got another job. No problem. So he comes against the trailer about four o'clock, three thirty, four o'clock on that Thursday. And he leaves, hooks up the trailer, leaves. Not an hour later, another truck comes into the driveway and a big old equipment rental sign painted on the door. And the guy's honking on the horn. Uh, so I go out to meet him. He's like, hey, do you have a guy named Blah Blah doing some work for you here? Yeah, sure do. Um, cutting down a tree for me. Why? Can I help you? You know, and who are you? And he introduces himself, gives me his business card and says, I'm the equipment rental guy that owns the piece of equipment that's behind your workshop. Uh, and I'm here to repossess it because tree guy hasn't been paying his bill uh, for three years. Wow. So he, you know, he said, hey, do you mind? It's your property or if I repossess it or do I need to get, you know, the law enforcement here to convince you to do that. Well, oh no, you know, you've, you've proven you own that piece of equipment so you can have it no matter what, you know, you know, I'm yeah. all for law and order. So he reposed the equipment later that night in the dark. And I'm trying to do the best I can uh, to light up, you know, where they need to do what they need to do. Well, the guys that came out to repossess it, I could tell the, passenger in the truck knew what he was doing but the driver he couldn't back a trailer out of a wet paper bag he had no skill backing this trailer he almost hit our new fence oh, wow he tore up the yard in front of the fence just tore it up ah. uh, he put about five inch deep ruts in in a big semicircle arc where he was attempting uh to back this trailer and i'm standing over on the gravel with the flashlight low lighting up the gravel where he's supposed to be turning like it's a runway you know mm -hmm. my and my wife's like who is this guy you know you're way over there you're 10 feet that way telling him this is where you need lighting up where he needs to turn and he's trying to turn into our fence like, ah, you know, whatever. So they go through this huge ordeal, loading, unloading, physically turning the trailer around. It's crazy. They did not know what they were doing. I almost I said, get out. I'll back up your truck. Yeah. And so their owner of the store calls, you know, make because he can't get a hold of his guys because we have no cell service here. And uh, I said, yeah, you know, they're about ready to leave. However, comma, you know, you know, your guys just have completely tore up my yard. I don't mind you repossessing your equipment because it's yours. But you're destroying my property. 
you know, you're mad at this guy for what he did to yours, but you're destroying my property. Yeah. And by the way, now I'm, I'm still halfway through this tree job. Yeah. And they're like, oh, you know, we'll fix your yard and, you know, we'll bring out a bobcat and pull the log up the hill for you. No problem. Oh, really? Well, that's what he said. And this has been exactly one week ago. Uh, last night. Well, no, two days ago was one week. Still haven't heard, you know, seen anybody, but I've talked to the guy, the manager of the store uh, three times since then. Uh, but he did call me yesterday saying, Hey, can our landscape guy that comes and does all our landscaping, uh, he said he'd go fix your front yard for us. And can he come out there and do it Monday or Tuesday? I said, absolutely. And he said nothing about bringing the skid steer out to pull up my log. And I'm like, you know, should he? I don't know. And I, I'm impressed. He said he did. If he said he would, then he should. Uh, no, I get you. But I don't know if it was just saying it to placate me. He absolutely needs to come fix my yard. Uh, but finishing a job for the guy you had to repo a piece of equipment from eh, you know i'm up in the air about that even if yeah. oh yeah we'll do it i don't know if it was just uh someone without the authority to say saying it, you know what i mean yeah 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 have you heard back from the original guy that started the work that night that he was repoed i sent him a text after they left saying hey you know you don't have to worry about picking up your bobcat tomorrow because he was back for another job so you don't have to worry about picking up your bobcat because it was repoed. You know, this guy from this company came and got your, are you kidding me? My payment wasn't due until the 30th. And this is actually October 29th. And he's saying, my payment wasn't due on until the 30th. Then I almost replied back with which one, because he said, you missed three of them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't say anything else to him. Yeah, that's probably wise. Uh, and I think the only thing I said to him was, you know, I really appreciate, you know, the, uh, uh, the awkwardness of that you put us in and yeah. this job half done, you know, cause you, you represented yourself as being able to finish the job. And I think being financially sound enough to have your equipment through the course of a job is part of that promise. Yeah. Uh, you know, to me and, uh, Uh, and there's a little bit more that I don't want to share to the story because, you know, I don't want to identify the guy at all uh, yeah. in any way. But the other part of the story, it, you put it together because that happened prior to any of this. And then once he got repoed, you put those two pieces of information together. You're like, I don't even want you back over here. Oh, dear. Wow. And. uh like I said, we're in a real rural area and you know, he's, he did half the job. He's been paid for half the job. And if I never see him again, I'll be better for it. Mm -hmm. You know, you haven't heard back from him since that tax, right? Yeah. Huh. And he's like, Oh, just let me know when it dries out. I'll come back and pull it up with my truck and a winch. Mm, nah. Yeah. <laughs> so now you got to find somebody else. If, if the rental company doesn't come through. 
Yeah, if the rental company doesn't come through, I think what I do is um, either uh, because the tree's down and he cut the main trunk of the tree into, I think, three foot sections. And I don't know if my tractor will pick them up, but I could try that. And that wouldn't hurt my back, you know, at least trying to pick it up with a tractor. And if that, you know, I'll find, try to find somebody else. But. Yeah. Do you think that's something where you could offer like free wood if you remove it to like local classifieds or something? I could do that. But since we have a wood fired uh, furnace, you know, it'd be nice, yeah. you know, cut up and seasoned for next year. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Oh, fun stuff, huh? Yeah, you know, you, you, it's hard to get any help out here um, at all. We had the same problem with the fence, the getting the electric installed in the uh, workshop. The only good guy has been the HVAC dude. And, you know, he wasn't the most timely guy. But he was the best worker by far. Uh, did exactly what he said he was going to do. Came in under budget with quality equipment. You know, it just took um, five weeks to get a simple mini split put in, a three level mini split, but whatever. You know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I find listening to other podcasts and like maker podcasts and stuff, I, I find that's like the complaint that just resonates with everybody is that anywhere you live right now it's hard to find good tradespeople or good you know skilled physical labor you know what i mean um uh, here you know when we built our house we had so many issues uh you know the contractors wouldn't show up or they would show up and they wouldn't have anything and then you find i would say from what i've noticed in a group of working with say 10 different people you'll find one that is just really good uh like the folks that did our plumbing uh, in our house, they're from Lethbridge, which is about an hour and a half from here. You know where you've been to Lethbridge, haven't you? Yes. Yeah, and um, so they're from Lethbridge. We're about an hour and a half away, and I remember they said, "Okay, we're going to come in on this Saturday, and we're going to rough in the plumbing for the entire house." And you know, they're getting ready to pour the concrete. All the walls were done and framed, and they pulled up. They had three trucks. Two of them had those, uh, like a big topper, but with the toolboxes off on the side. And then one was a flat deck full of all the pipe and, and parts and everything. And I think each one of these trucks had two or three guys in it. And they just pulled up and they said, is it all right if we're there early? And this was the day before. I said, yeah, sure, come whenever. They showed up at 5.30 in the morning. So they had left Lethbridge at 4. And they had the entire house completely roughed in by 10 o'clock in the morning. And then they went home. I went to another job. And then they were. I talked to him afterwards. He said, oh, yeah, we usually work to about 3 o'clock on Saturday. We can get two jobs done on a Saturday. And these guys came in, I'm not joking, one, two, three, the trucks pulled in, like they drove, boom, they knew exactly where they were going. And as soon as it was put into park, the doors flew open and the guys just went right and started grabbing tools and hauling them into the house. You know, they didn't even have like a little, okay, let's figure out or let's walk around, check things out. Nobody had coffees in their hands. And I was just blown away. And these guys, they're booked solid. And, you know, I understand why my builder used them. He told me, he goes, these guys are going to impress you. I said, you think so? He goes, oh, yeah, you're going to be impressed. And it was amazing. And I think that was the only trade that was actually half decent on in building our entire house, except for the drywallers. Um, but even that was the second set of drywallers because the, the, the drywallers that 
my builder had originally hired, um, gave him a really good price. And I was like, why isn't the drywall happening? He goes, well, my, my drywall is in jail. <laughs> so it's incredible how hard it is to find good help. And uh, I'm always amazed that the guys that are, you know, 50%, 60%, they still get enough work to be busy. Right. And, and I, I guess the word of mouth just doesn't spread far enough or fast enough that people keep hiring them. Uh, but then, man, like if anybody asks me, hey, do you know good plumbing outfit? I'm building a new house. It's like you call these guys and you don't call anybody else because they will come in. They'll do it right and they'll do it fast. And the, the truth of the matter is we haven't had we've been living in the house now for three years and we haven't had a single issue with any plumbing whatsoever. So it's a uh, few and far between or people like that. But, man, it's, it's inspiring to see it. But I find that 90% of the time you're dealing with everything else, you know. Yeah, so it's coming up. Yeah. Gone are the days where you don't have to stand over somebody's shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. I. God. The uh, electrician that we had for the uh, workshop, when the inspector came to do the rough-in inspection, the electrician didn't show up for the inspection. And he had all of the uh, plug and switch covers on. And this is the installation inspection, the rough end. Yeah. And the inspector's like, well, how can I see anything? Yeah. The cover's on. So me, the homeowner, is going around uh, taking all the uh, covers off for the electrician who didn't show up for his own inspection. Wow. And then he didn't show up for the final until after it was done. Uh, and then we had his hand out for the check. And I'm like, yeah, you can come back later for that. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, no kidding. I always find, I find electricians are always the messiest trade. Um, and, it, you know, it's kind of the nature of it. When when I would do airport conveyors, we would have to hire our own electricians. So we'd put in the equipment, we'd mount all the motors, the control panels, and then they would run the conduit, pull the wire, and, you know, just even terminating stuff you can't do an electrical work without terminating and you can't terminate without, you know, peeling the, the plastic off the wire. And, but man, I find electricians all like, you can tell when the electricians are done because the floor is just covered with little bits of plastic. I've actually, I've yet to meet an electrician that would clean up as they go. And I always, I always tell everybody like the electricians are the messiest trades out there. I don't know what it is, but that's been my experience. Um, we actually had a fun thing too, when we were building this house, you know, we, we built this house. We had a, a price from our builder and it was this money. And then the, the way that we had done it was that we secured all the money with a lawyer uh, for the entire house. And then um, at each different stage, the certain percentage of completion, we would release a certain portion of it. And we had we kind of lined that up with all the building inspections, like the mun municipal codes that we had to comply with. So once we got the, the rough and inspection done, then we'd release this much more money and yada, yada. And then there's like a 10% hold back at the end of the job until the final inspection was signed off. And um, we had an amazing price from our builder. It was incredible, like half of what anybody else had. So I thought, this is, this is crazy. And what I ended up finding out was, I think what he does is he'll give a really low price and then he's a big change order guy. And... I mean, I was a project manager and I've worked with all sorts of, you know, airports and different cities and even like some federal stuff when we we're doing TSA and CATSA in Canada. And, you know, I know how to handle the change orders and I know what scope of work is. And I don't think he knew that I knew anything about that. So he came to me and uh, 
we kind of did a walkthrough with our electrician said, okay, we'd like this light switch here. Uh, you know, maybe on our living room, we'd put a two-way or a three-way switch in so you can turn the lights on from this entrance and from the hallway. And we kind of walked through these stuff that we wanted. And then uh, I said, okay, good. And then he came back the next day, my builder did, with a change order for like 6,500 bucks. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, oh, all these extra things, it's extra wire and extra, you know, you're adding a whole bunch of stuff. One of the things we added is I wanted a switch uh, on our front porch, like kind of up in the, the soffit so that we could plug Christmas lights in there and then have it switched inside so we can just turn them on and off. And I understand stuff like that wouldn't necessarily be, that would be an extra, right? I definitely get that. And then we had a few closets that we wanted lights put in. Turns out with code, you're actually not allowed to have a light in a closet for safety's sake, but Anyways, he came back and said, oh, these extras that you want are all, it's 6,500 bucks. And I said, okay, well, in that case, like, we, you know, we had a limited budget. We had X amount of money to build a house. Uh, the excavating cost us about 20 grand more than we were planning. And then we had to put in this septic mound, which is 180 foot long, basically a pile of dirt with, we're, we're, here we're not allowed to do like an in-ground septic field. We basically have to build up a big pile of dirt and sand and gravel, and then they can put the septic stuff in it. And that, that was like over 40,000 bucks. Right. And so, I mean, we're kind of like halfway through this house and our, our budgets are tight. And I said, okay, in this case, we're not doing any extras, just build it to code. And then my builder says, Oh, what do you mean build it to code? I said, well, there's a legal code. You know, you have to have every outlet can't be more than 12 feet apart. Um, you know, you have to have, arc fault protection and any lamp or out outlet in the bedroom and yada, yada. I said, just build it to the code. And he said, well, he doesn't build the code. I said, well, he has to build the code. You know, if he's, if he's a licensed and insured uh, electrician, he builds everything to the code. And he said, oh, I don't know about that. And uh, I said, no, I, I said, he gave you a price to do that, the electrical, and that has to be done to code. I said, that's all we're doing. I'm not putting a single extra switch in. I'm not putting anything extra in. Go, oh, I don't know. I'll go talk to him. Anyways, electrician gets to work and he starts putting in all these extras that we'd wanted. And I, I told him, it, it's funny because we were living here in our fifth wheel. So, I mean, I have, it was kind of advantageous to myself, but I was talking to him and I had a good relationship. I was like, you know, small talk with this electrician when he shows up and stuff. And I said, well, are you putting all this in? He goes, this is what I'm, this is what I said I would do. And I said, I thought this was a change order. And he said, I didn't do a change order. I said, well, my builder came to me with a $6,500 change order. I said, that wasn't me. He said, you told me what you want and I'm giving you what you want. <laughs> so it was incredible. I mean, he was, he was a straight shooter. The electrician was a great guy, but I was like, wow, you know, the guy building my house, I think that's just his shtick. That's his game, right? Give a super low ball price and then try and make your money back with change orders. Oh, it was, uh, we had a bad, we had a terrible experience building this house. It was bad, but it, you know, in the end we got through it and we, we have a nice house and I enjoy it, but. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, our electrician, <clears throat> the company that I hired to do the shop, they did that exact thing. And I told them, so well, I gave you, we mapped everything out on your original estimate. I actually submitted to you exactly what I wanted as far as um, outlets, switches, and lights, the number and their location, all in, all according to code, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you gave me an estimate. And now you want to change it? No, I have a contract. You know, do you want to finish it uh, for what you said you were going to finish it for, or you want to go to court? Yeah, because I'll win, and you'll have to pay my lawyer fees, and it'll, you'll still lose money. Just saying. Yeah, <laughs> easier just to do the job. Never threaten to sue anybody, but this 
this electrical company is just they're scum and that's all i say that's crazy but uh, one of the things i i did with the the tree guy when he was up he was a also a climber he owns the company and he's also the climber so he was up in the tree uh cutting it and uh i used my new camera uh to take some photos just of the job in general i was like oh he's in the tree let me see if my new uh lenses i got for the camera i'll just test them out on him right so i have Mm -hmm. doing the tree Uh, but you you also got a new camera didn't you yeah yeah um no, you used to be a professional photographer, or not used to be. You are a professional photographer, but you just got a new camera. Yeah, no, I, I'm not a professional anymore because I don't actually get money for it. So technically, that, that's all it takes. Um, but no, I was looking for a good uh, YouTube content creation camera. And previously, I've been using the G7X Mark II, which you have that camera as well, right? Yeah. Love that camera, and I still love that camera. The issue I have with mine is I think I've had mine for about four years and it, you know, lives and it's in my shop while I'm building stuff. And I have knocked that camera down so many times. It's I've sent it into Canon twice to get repairs. And my problem I have with the camera is the audio is kind of fuzzy and crackly. And it never used to be that way. I always was blown away by how great the audio, it's just onboard audio. Like there's no external microphones, but for doing YouTube, as long as you're not like 10 feet away from the camera, uh, for vlogging and stuff like that and running gun shooting, it works so good. But this audio was getting to the point where it was really bugging me during the editing. And so I was trying to find a good replacement. Um, earlier this year, I bought the Canon M50. And I really like that camera. Um, it has like Canon's dual pixel autofocus, just beautiful camera. But it's still a little on the big side. It's one of the mirrorless cameras. So it's not not as big as like a 70D or an 80D. Um, but it, it's still not pocketable. And I was looking at the Canon, uh, the G7X Mark III, uh, but there's so many issues people say with the autofocus being really slow. And I've noticed that on my, my Mark II, I, I never really noticed it too much. And then I noticed I was getting comments on my videos. And it's like, focus, you know, uh, focus you F is what people would say in the comment section. I'm like, oh yeah, I would look back at the videos. Like, I guess the focus was drifting a little bit, particularly if you have anything, like I've got a, an LED sign that says simple little life. And if I record in front of that, it, it's never going to pick me up because there's a little more contrast between the white lights of the letters and the black of the sign. And so that's where it locks its focus. But uh, this new Sony I got, uh, I've never been a Sony shooter before. And I got the Sony ZV-1, or I guess for you Americans, it's a ZV-1. And I'm still, the thing I love about the Canons is that their color science is so good. And I don't think anybody can touch it. Like, just you literally turn it on to like the automatic mode and you're not adjusting settings. You hit record. That footage looks so good all the time. And Sony's, they've had, they've been struggling, but they've been getting better with their color science. And so I'm, I'm tweaking the settings on this one. But the one thing I like about this camera is that its autofocus is absolutely insane. Um, they actually have a feature. So it's got face detection, which the Canon has. But then the Sony also has eye detection within the face detection. And ultimately, I mean, when you learn about photography, if you're doing portraits and stuff, the most important part to get in focus is somebody's eye, right? That's looking into their soul. That's what you want to see. And uh, you take a great photo. If their eye isn't like the sharpest focus on that image, 
I always think you've missed the mark somehow. And uh, so this camera has this automatic eye focus, and it's unbelievable. Uh, same size as the uh, Canon G7X Mark II. I think it might be a little bit lighter. It's a plastic, whereas the G7X Mark II, I think, has a little bit more metal in the frame of it. Um, but so far, I'm liking it. I've been, uh, I haven't released any, well, I, I did one video on it on a Tool Time Tuesday. And, um, but I've been kind of testing it out in different situations. It's got a built-in dead cat that you can put on over the microphone. And uh, so far, I'm really impressed. It's a, it's a pretty interesting, all the reviews, I think this camera is about five months old. So this is like the earliest I've ever gotten into a new camera. Usually a camera's out for a year or two before I get my hands on it. Um, but the audio is pretty good. It's got directional microphone, which can be a disadvantage if you're behind the camera, say, you know, filming something in front of you and talking about it. But so far, I think that it's acceptable. And um, yeah, I'm really excited about it. Give it a shot. I got they have this vlogger kit that comes with it. So it's a little tripod slash um, handle. But the nice thing with that, it's actually got buttons on that handle. So you can stop, start recording. You can zoom all from the handle. So it's actually really convenient if you're doing like the vlog style videos where you're walking around talking stuff like that. So uh, I definitely I, I definitely think this was a good purchase. There's, you know, when you look at YouTube videos, there's all the hype, right? Everybody gets a brand new one. And I think a lot of, a lot of people get the camera and they'll have it for like four hours. And especially if it's a brand new product and everybody knows it's coming to market, if you can get that video up like the first day that people can buy it, it's good for views, right? And so a lot of these, especially a lot of the popular videos on the ZV-1, they're, they came out like five months ago. And these people haven't used it for more than a day. And then they're always like, oh, this, 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 and this. So I always like to say, you know what, I, I need to spend a week or two with this to actually know how it works for me. But uh, after the first week, I'm actually really impressed with it. I think it's a going to be a good little option. Yeah, I can't believe Sony has done so well with their um, <clears throat> vlogging cameras. Yes, compete with the Canon G7X because of one particular YouTuber that keeps breaking them constantly, just doing you know stupid things like dropping them in the creek against rocks. You know, is that Mer Matt Carricker or yeah, 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 I know, right? <laughs> he just destroys his cameras. Uh, it, it goes to him about one a year. Um, in the I bet it's more than that in the years I've been watching him, uh, but. Yeah, he, he always has this thing where he says, don't tell Mayor, his wife, <laughs> how many cameras I go through. Um, I know he was uh, using the ZV-1 right when it came out, and then he actually switched back to the Sony RX100 Mark Seven. And I saw I saw an episode like a month ago, but the reason he said he did that is because his audience was complaining about the fact that when he was filming uh, stuff in front of the camera and he was behind the camera, just that difference in the audio, it sounded different and it was annoying them. So he switched back to the the uh, other camera they're they're very very similar cameras it's just the the zv1 is a lot less expensive and, um, and it's got a slightly different lens it's not quite as long i think the uh the r7 or the rx100 mark 7 i think that one goes from like 24 to is it 120 or 100 it's got a massive zoom for a compact camera uh, whereas the zv1's 24 to 70 mils which is fine i mean that's a good usable range you know, his audience, you know, I've seen the comments on your videos and probably 20 other YouTubers about audio problems, right? I don't think people understand what YouTube is doing in the background because they really want folks not to use mobile devices. They really want them to use their smart TVs. They want to compete with, you know, network TV, and they want 
folks watching YouTube on large screen TVs. You think so? Yeah, absolutely, they do. It's a corporate thing. Um, and that's why YouTube Red, YouTube TV is getting pushed so much. Uh, yeah. And, that, you know, 90 per, 99 almost 100% of everything I watch on YouTube is on my smart TVs because it just looked better, right? Well, yeah. I don't hear any of those sound problems that other people complain about. Yeah. Because that, that stuff is much more noticeable on headphones, probably. Like most people watching on a mobile device, I imagine a good portion of them have some type of an earpiece in. Mm-hmm. And, and same thing when you're, like when I'm editing, I've got like Bose sound-canceling headphones and I can I can tell big difference. Even if I use several cameras on one video, I always have to go in and tweak the audio so it matches, and you can definitely hear from one camera to the other. And that's what I was saying. Like when I was editing for my G7X, just because I've beaten that thing up so much, it wasn't like this in the in the beginning when it was a newer camera, but now it's got this kind of a crackling hiss. And I, I don't know if you would even hear it on a on a TV. Um, but I think I think a lot of those complaints you're saying would make sense that they come from uh, mobile devices because everybody's like got their headphones in or their AirPods or whatever, you know. And even if I'm in my living room using my uh Bose system, you know, which is super crystal clear audio. I don't hear, you know, if the YouTuber, one guy I listen to, he's a machinist, uh, but he he just uses a, an old uh, the little square cameras, the little tiny ones. Little GoPro or something? Yes, he uses an old GoPro. All of his audio is incredibly horrible. And it has been since the beginning of the channel. So you just expect that from him, right? Mm-hmm. Even him, you can now hear a lot better on TV than you can on mobile device. So I'm in somebody that we know that worked at YouTube told us, yeah, they're they're really really pushing, and they have a just a ton of technology geared towards producing those videos for in the background. Not not that they're re-editing them, but you know, as they're being broadcast, they're being broadcast uh, through technology geared towards TV. Hmm. Well, you know, that's interesting you say that because I've heard, and I don't know if this is true, but I've heard other creators say that you want to start recording in 4K because uh, YouTube will see that and, and push your video harder than if it was just in 1080p. Absolutely. And you know, your audience is, if a majority of your views are from a smart TV, you're pushed more. If you're using really, you're pushed more. Yeah, the algorithm, it knows things. Yeah, yeah. I can see like what devices. I think most of my views come on on mobile devices and they give you that those in the analytics. Yep. So that's interesting. Like it's one of the uh uh firearms news uh arfcom uh ar15.com uh the news I watch uh on YouTube funny guy uh he says it on at the end of every video when he's saying, hey, you know, like, subscribe, ring the bell, Patreon, blah, blah, blah. And he says, you know, watch on your big screen TV or your smart TV. Wow, that is crazy. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Do you have, you know what I just recently got is YouTube Premium? 
Um, so basically, you, you pay a monthly service fee for it, and but you don't have any of the ads. And I mean, I watch a lot of YouTube, and my kids watch a lot of YouTube. And um, before, like when they had YouTube Red, I don't even know if you can get Red in Canada, but that was the same thing. You have to pay for it, right? Um, I know YouTube Red was announced, and it wasn't available in Canada. Then YouTube Premium was announced, and I went, I wanted to get it like I don't know, a year or two years ago, and it's not available in Canada. But they just made it available in Canada. I don't know how long ago, but I just got it. I've had it for about a month or maybe two months now, and it is un. I love it. You know, it's weird. You're used to watching YouTube videos, and now it seems YouTube like what they did with my channel is if I had it clicked so that I would put in like a mid-roll ad. So if I have a 20-minute video, it's like okay, I'll, let's show an ad at 10 minutes. Um, you'd click it, and I could place like one ad in the middle there. Uh, and I noticed recently, I've gotten a lot of comments on my videos. People are saying too many ads, so annoying. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And so now there's usually like two five-second non-skippable ads before a video. And then I go back and look, and YouTube has gone through, and on a 20-minute video, they'll put like four ads in there, like in the middle of the play. And so you actually, I have to actually go back and delete them. And everyone that somebody comments on, there's too many, uh, too many comments or too many ads. I'll I'll go through right away and be like, oh, okay, obviously this video, but really I should be going through because I know like when you look at the percentage of I, I think if you have all the mid-roll ads on a video it equals I think it's like two to three percent more income but I think it's a huge turnoff rate too I, I think it's detrimental to your channel if it's I hate it you know you're watching a video and you know you watch for five minutes and there's another ad and then you watch for five minutes and then another ad I mean I don't even think network television has that many commercials in it you know and but no, that's what? a nice thing Go ahead. It's your last video, the one um, about the finger saver. Yes, that grinding ring. Yes, the grinding ring. Um, there was two um, non-skippable ads at the beginning. Wow. Two ads while I was watching it. And both skippable, but one was six minutes long. Wow. And then the other one was, you know, just a quick, um, the new uh, iPhone 12 Pro. Mm -hmm. And at the end of your video, when it before it went back to the next screen, there were two ads. Wow. So they had, in time, longer ads than the video it, they were connected to. Crazy. Wow. Yeah. Watching it anymore. Yeah. When Somebody they used to have so that you, any any video that was under ten minutes couldn't get a mid roll ad. Well, I just watched uh, the other video. I was going to tell you it was seven minutes thirty six second video, and if you added up the skippable ads, there was two of them. It was forty two minutes. Oh wow, that's crazy. Really? No, I'm not watching that. Yeah. Part of that could be right now, because right now is the season, right? I mean, the money you make on YouTube is all in, like, the last quarter. Everybody wants to get products in front of you for Christmas, and, you know, it's just, just like retail. This is a time when, when you make hay, right? Absolutely. And yeah, I don't think it works for creators. Um, if all of your viewers had YouTube Premium. You're not getting ads, but are you still getting part of that revenue? Yeah, you get more. You get you get more because um, 
it depends. Like if you watch, basically what they'll do is they'll take that um, whatever you pay. And I, I think, so we've got like six uh, users that can use it and we pay $18 Canadian, Canadian pesos per month. And so they'll take a portion of that. I don't know how much of it is and they'll give it to the creator. So instead of um, when I watch a video, instead of that content creator getting paid for the ad that's played, they'll get a portion of the, the total money that I put in for the month. And so the one nice thing about that is that um, there's a sense where the, the creator gets a way higher pay rate for views from his audience, you know, because his audience, you know, th these companies, they'll say, okay, we're going to run, I don't know, 5 million ad spots over all of these channels. And it's, it's a, there's a pie and it's being spread out over hundreds of thousands of different channels. Whereas, you know, myself, okay, 18 bucks a month. I don't know what of that they uh, allocate to the, I think YouTube is all pretty much 50, 50, um, you know, whatever I make per month, that's exactly what YouTube makes. So they split right down the middle with the ad revenue. And that's kind of in the contracts when you sign up to it and stuff. But if, if that is the same case with YouTube premium, I haven't looked into it, but in theory, I'm giving nine bucks and I split it amongst every video I watch in a month, you know, and it's, you know, if I watch two, three videos a day, that's actually way more money than you, you make. Cause you know, you get about, what is that? Like, I think my channel right now is like for every thousand views, it's $3. Wow. Right. And that, that can fluctuate. And it, it also depends on what the videos, like some videos I have will be $8 per thousand views. Um, but typically, I mean, mine's a knife making channel. So that's obviously really dangerous to the world. Uh, it's violent. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not air quotes, advertiser friendly, according to YouTube. So it is what it is, but I do know uh, that the if you have premium, then the channels that you watch will actually make more money from you than if you had just sat and watched all their ads. But it's a weird thing too, because you know you're used to watching YouTube forever, and you're used to, um, you know, you're used to everybody having all their, you know, you watch the videos like, okay, I gotta watch the ads, and as soon as I got this YouTube premium, it took me a few days to get used to it. I, I'd click a video, and it would just start playing, and I'm like, what, <laughs> you know? I really enjoy it. And the nice thing with YouTube Premium too is that you can actually, I think you can download up to 20 videos and have them stored on your device. So if you're going on an airplane, you want to just download a whole bunch of this person's content or, or whatever. Or I always thought too, you know, if you're, you don't have a massive or really fast internet, you could just go to the, when you're in the Walmart or a Starbucks or something, use their internet, download a bunch of shows and then take them with you. Yeah, I uh, could download any of them anyway. What's that? I said, I can download any of them anyway. I have a program called IDM, uh, Internet Download Manager. Uh, any audio or video file on the internet, um, it, it a little box pops up next to it and says, you know, you just click it and it'll download it. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Yeah, and yes, I bought a commercial copy and legally uh, registered it for any of the listeners out there. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting. You're talking about this ring video of mine. I'm actually just on my uh, my creator studio, and I have the mid-roll ads turned off. YouTube is um, doing whatever they want right now. Because like you said, they're, uh, this is that time of the year. Yeah. Yeah. You want to let me, you want me to tell you the analytics on that video? Sure. Just for fun. Um so I released one day. Oh, that was a tool time Tuesday. So it came out on Tuesday for recording this Saturday morning. And uh, let's see, 
that video has 13.7 thousand views is 821 hours of watch time which i think is ridiculous uh so that's like uh most people will watch a video for if you can get halfway through that's really good if, if your videos are watched more than halfway they're really going to be recommended uh so this is actual total number of watch time and it's measured in minutes so some people watch it for one minute that one minute would count to this it's not like one view of a 10 minute video you know they start watching it they don't count the full 10 minutes but uh, I've gained eight subscribers from that video, and the revenue I've made is twenty-eight dollars and ninety cents U.S. Have Have you lost any due to that video? No, no. Uh, well, I, I I'm sure uh, people have unsubscribed, but my overall okay. it's funny because I'll go through like ten videos in a row, and that video will be like, oh, you lost ten subscribers, you lost twenty subscribers, and then like I did a welding cart video, that one I've gained like five hundred subscribers from that video. Um. That's actually a metric I wish they wouldn't show you. <laughs> like, this is probably the first video I've had out in a while that I've actually gained subs from. And it's like, oh, that's kind of nice. But if I look at other ones, it's like, well, that was a good video. How could I lose three subscribers, you know? Um, but then again, you know, twice. what's that? I, I watched that video twice. Oh, uh, there you go. No, because I started playing it, and then I had to run to the kitchen. And I, by the time I got back, it was over, so I had to replay it. So you got two views from me. Well, thank uh, you. I I appreciate that, Todd. <laughs> I understand this. Um, with all of the, you know, 20 years of military safety training um, and then all of the safety stuff I've had since I retired from the military, having anything, any ring or watch or sleeve in a machining environment or a moving machinery environment just makes me cringe. So, you know. I wouldn't use anything like that that yeah you know physically wrapped around my finger but because not that it's dangerous it's just i'm so used to not doing it after all these years mm-hmm. it's like wearing a seat belt i don't give a poop if you wear one or not but i've worn one for so long i feel naked without it you know so. yeah yeah I, I rolled a car once it was a good good roll like three and a quarter rolls i did and um i had a seatbelt on and I walked away. I didn't I didn't even have a scratch. I had a, a little not even an abrasion even. It's just a little mark from where the seatbelt held me in. I just remember I grabbed the steering wheel, grabbed the passenger headrest, and I remember my head felt like I felt like I was in a roller coaster. Like there's my head was being moved in all these different things and bang, bang, boom. And oh, it was so much fun. If I could do it again and know I wouldn't get hurt, I'd definitely do a whole bunch of it. But um it was just my own fault. I was trying to put out a cigarette and a construction zone i wasn't paying attention there's a sharp shoulder and i hit the ditch as i was speeding and uh i was doing over the you know the side i was doing about 70 miles an hour and i went into the ditch and if i had just rode it out i'd be fine but i thought oh i better get up on the road and so i pulled it up and then that kind of just launched me and boom bada bing but i definitely hear in the seat belts um and then back to the screen what's that i said i'll tell you this real quick i will see you rolling a car and i will raise you mine went bumper over bumper Oh, dude, that is better. Walked away without a scratch, and I owe it all to Ford. It was when I was stationed in England. It was a Ford Cortina. And I went over bumper, and the only reason I walked away from it is the seat frames in that particular model of car, steel, all one-piece frame from the bottom of the seat all the way around the headrest. Internally, was all steel and one piece. Yeah. And it was just about an inch taller than my head. 
And when the roof caved in, you know, it didn't touch me. Wow. So mine was a Ford too. That I built. <laughs> it was a Ford Tempo. <laughs> but yeah. Um, so so just back to this ring thing, I guess just in case people are listening don't know what that video is. It's basically it's like a ring you'd stick on your finger, uh, but it almost looks like a pair of brass knuckles where you've got, you know, a piece of steel that kind of goes over the fingers on your knuckles, and then there's a shelf on there. And the idea behind this ring is that you can sit this blade on this shelf and basically use that to hold the knife against the belt grinder. And interestingly enough, I, ha I had some comments. People are mad because what I did in that video, I, I showed it and I'm, I haven't put a lot of time into it. I still haven't really, I haven't ground a full knife with it yet, but um, I showed this thing and I said, this is a really cool idea. You know, that's my channel. I like to spread ideas. That's what I've done a lot of. And then I mentioned, I said, you know what, this actually wouldn't be hard to make yourself, you know? And I had a few people comment on the video and then as well as message me DMs on Instagram and stuff saying, you know, that was kind of a low blow. <laughs> you know, I showed the guy's maker mark. I had no clue who sold this thing. Um, and he had actually stopped making this ring. And they said, you know, you, you take this guy's thing and you're just saying, hey, look at this. You could make it yourself easily. And it was funny because the guy who makes it actually found out who it was. And he actually got in contact with me. He said, hey, I just want to say thanks for your video. I've sold a whole bunch. He opened up his somebody told him i don't know who they told him hey this guy did this video on your ring i very clearly showed his maker's mark in the video and so he watched it and then he opened up orders again and then he messaged me i think is on thursday and he said i just want to say thanks for the video man i've sold so many rings <laughs> he said i closed the orders because nobody was buying them and i mean he's got i don't know maybe two thousand followers on instagram and he actually has a new version of this ring and this ring's expensive that's a that's a big complaint if you look at the comment section on that video uh, maybe I'll put the link to the video in the show notes. Uh, that way people can check it out if they're curious what we're talking about. But um, I think you, they start at 125 US and they go to like 400 US. And it's 3D printed steel. He's got two options. One of them is a bronze stainless. And then one is just like stainless steel, 3D printed stainless steel. Oh my gosh, uh, it's not so expensive. It's 3D printed metal. Yeah, yeah. And uh, if, he's if got a... You have reinvigorated his his sales um where's your cut uh I, well he's sending me he's got a new version of it and I, I was this is what made me think about when you said you don't like rings this new version is like a half ring and so there's instead of a full you know sticking your finger actually into it you kind of push it on from the front and then there's a little tab uh that you grab with your thumb and uh, i'll put a link to his website maybe in the show notes as well uh, that way people can check it out. I mean, we're not getting paid to do this or anything, but I, you know, same thing if we're talking about it, it'd be nice for people to see it. But he actually messaged me and said, thanks so much. He goes, I've got a new version I want. Can I send you a new version? And so he's actually going to send me another one of these things. Uh, but I was thinking with your comment, you don't like the idea of working with machinery. And I, I get that 100%. Um, but this, I think, kind of circumvents that whole thing with having a ring. I think this thing, if it ever caught, would just come off. So I'm, I'm going to do another video on it. I told him, I said, yeah, I'd like to do that. And that would be probably a key point to address. Like, I, you know, when we went to uh, trade school, you know, of course, we had to see pictures of people that were degloved. And, you know, if people don't know what that is. It's you have a wedding ring on and you got, you're running a lathe. If that wedding ring grabs, what very often will happen is it'll just like literally peel the skin right off your finger. And there's been some, I've seen one we had to watch and this guy's uh, same thing as a wedding ring, drill press grabbed. It actually ripped his finger right off. And it pulled a tendon out of his arm, like pretty much basically up to his elbow, 
ripped right out. And there's a picture of this finger with a wedding ring and then, you know, about like 12, 13 inches of tendon on it. Just disgusting. And, and so you definitely try and terrify you. And I, I, I understand it, but I, I don't know why. I've never, ever taken my wedding ring off. And uh, when I worked at Sanjal, I was the chair of our safety committee. And at that point, you know, my boss... It was actually my boss's boss was also on the safety committee. And there's a few like executives because oil and gas safety is a big deal. Uh, he came up and said, listen, he said, I know you don't like taking your wedding ring off, but he said, I think if you're in this position now, you're going to need to. And I said, I agree hundred percent. So I actually went and got a tattoo there <laughs> so that even when I took my wedding ring off, I still have a wedding band tattooed on my finger, but I, I understand it. You know, the worst I've ever had is coming down on a, a steel ladder that has like expanded metal welded to it. And sometimes I've caught it when I'm trying to go down and, and basically you're going down a ladder and your, your fingers caught. Oh, that hurts. It's like, Oh boy. You don't think about it until you're, you have like most of your body weight hanging on that part, you know? Yeah. I, and I've seen some horrific accidents where, you know, degloving fingers ripped off an arm ripped off hand crushed, uh, all kinds. Right. But it wasn't just the jewelry, the sleeve, or whatever itself, you know, it was always the ring along with a little piece of negligence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Taking things for granted, you know, so it doesn't matter what other people do. I was just saying I've been, it's been beat into my head. So for, for so long, cause you don't have a choice in the military. Yeah. Uh, you know, they don't say, Hey, could you please do that? You know, take it off or, you know, it's a crime. Oh my God. But, uh, so, you know, I don't, it doesn't matter to me what other people do. I was just saying it was beat into me for so long. I just not comfortable doing it. It's yeah. made me self-conscious about it. And to this day, I, I, my wedding rings on my keychain. Okay. And I could wear one. Well, I can't physically wear it because my finger's too fat, but, uh, you know, if I, if it did fit, you know, I, I, it would just feel weird on me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, no, I agree a hundred percent that that's definitely, and, and I get that comment a lot in my videos, like, Oh, never wear your ring around rotating equipment. I don't know. It's one of these weird things that I agree with and I know that I'm wrong for doing it, but I have no clue why I somehow still think I'm invincible or something. And I, I keep it on, but I'm not so certain. Social media is a weird animal about this particular thing where people commenting, on you being you. Yeah. I don't know why you wearing a ring in Alberta, Canada has, is affecting anyone in Montgomery, Alabama, mm-hmm. you know, but they go crazy on comments on people's videos about stuff that just simply can never affect them. Yeah. And I think it's cause we all have our own experiences, right? Like, um, I've worn a ring since I got married and I've never really had anything happen. Uh, But yet at the same time, and I don't ever comment safety Sally things on other videos, but one thing that drives me insane is when people use an angle grinder without gloves on. But the reason for that is that one of my, my friends growing up, his dad had, I forget what Mustang it was. It was incredible. It was a nice 60 something Mustang. He had a big blower on it. He dragged, he actually was turned it. So it wasn't legal for the street anymore. And he had these big, huge slicks on the back. And I remember he's doing some body work to it one day with a, or he's doing something with an angle grinder and the disc exploded and it almost cut his thumb right off. 
and I was actually in the house. We were playing when this happened, and his mom had to take him to the hospital. And I don't know how much a, a glove would have helped, but at the same time, a big leather glove would have stopped a lot of that inertia. Like his thumb was literally hanging on by some skin. And so when I see people using an angle grinder barehanded, that because of my experience, I'm like, oh man, that is so dangerous. I will never do that. You will not see me grind barehanded. Uh, but at the same time, I, I don't use a guard. Well, I do now. I've had enough comments and, um, you know, I always thought I was safer with leather gloves, but no guard. And so it's interesting. I, I think when it comes to safety, I think there's so much weight to our past experiences. Like you're saying, it's beat into your head in the, in the military. And, you know, there's so much weight from your past experience, right? Whereas the ring thing is never really a big deal to me. I know we were supposed to do it, blah, 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 blah. And they gloss over it in school. And, but the glove thing, because I've, that was part of my experience is just so much weight to my experience. And I bring to that, you know, and, uh, at the, and at the same time, I think too, you know, one person could do something a certain way and legitimately it would be safe for them based on how they work, what they know. And somebody else tries it that way and they could have a terrible accident. You know what I mean? Oh no, I know exactly what you mean. I, the only time I've ever been injured by an angle grinder was because of the guard and I will never use one again. What happened? Um, no idea. I just, um, the, I was using this, uh, the, it, it was a cutting wheel, but it's a, a, the thicker one that they're old gray. I don't even think they make them anymore. They're about four times this, the width of a regular, uh, cutting wheel. And they were intended back then. And this was in 1986, uh, for cutting hardened metals. And when it, it, exploded the guard on that particular grinder uh directed the shrapnel at my face oh wow and had the guard not been on it it would have went straight down and you know into the ground yeah uh, but no that guard just took it and, and that's why I, I hate glasses can't stand them uh i don't wear safety glasses when i shoot i don't wear safety glasses normally but anytime i'm using a uh, um, a saw or a grinder. I will wear them because that piece of cutting wheel bounced off my safety goggles. Wow, yeah. And I'm very happy about that. Yeah, no kidding. And anytime I'm around metal, grinding, welding, anything with metal, wear safety glasses, and everybody should, and not for any reason you can think of off the top of your head, but if you ever have, if you ever get a sliver or dust in your eye, and then later in your life, have to go get an MRI. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I I never ever thought about that. And as soon as you said that, I thought, oh my word. And that's why they ask now. Uh, oh, have you ever worked with metal? You ever got a metal sliver in your eye? Anything like that? Because um, I was about two months out of basic training in the Air Force. And just got to England, and no, I was still in technical school in Kansas, and a guy got hurt, and he went to the uh, military, you know, the military hospital, and they did an MRI on him. And at some point in his teens, before he ever joined the Air Force, he had been working with his dad, who was a race car driver, and 
you know, never wore safety glasses, never even knew he got something in his eye. Wow. Yet, out in that MRI through his eyeball. Ugh. That is nasty. Rear his eye um, in the same day. Huh. Wow. Never even thought about that. Never once. I was talking to him, I said, you know, because you're young and you ask, you you know, you're, you don't have a filter. Uh, so the first thing you ask when he comes back with an eye patch is, man, how did that feel? What did it feel like? Yeah. He said, just imagine bubble wrap, but your eye. Oh. Uh, I'm like, e. That is, that just hearing those words doesn't feel comfortable. And then later in my life, um, uh, in 2003, uh, I had a uh, some uh, like a cicada bug or something fly and hit my face, uh, and it cut my retina. Uh, wow! Most painful thing I've ever experienced, uh, including kidney stones and being shot was my eyeball being cut. Wow! So you've been shot too? Yeah, in the leg. Wow! We can. Uh... We're going to have to talk about that if you're willing to. Oh, yeah. Um, was, say that for another episode. It was, I, I was young, and it was a relative. Oh, wow. That's crazy. And, and one thing I'd like to get into more on our podcast, too, is, is the gun stuff. Absolutely. You know, the nice thing about podcasts is that there's no, <laughs> I don't, I mean, I don't know. From my understanding, there's no regulation on it, right? I mean, I know social media if you if you post about guns there's you know certain controls in place youtube they won't monetize uh, although i've noticed demolition ranch like his original channel uh is monetized again because i know he was demonetized and that's why he started the second channel off the ranch but um, anyway i think we have more freedoms here on podcasting of his hundreds and hundreds of videos he only had a, maybe five that in this is you know behind the scenes stuff uh, he had a few that were not monetized, uh, and he was making, and rightfully so, he was making a big uh, stink about it. Uh, I mean, because he's the largest gun channel on YouTube. Yeah. You know, and he's now monetized again. Hickok is monetized again. And pretty much anybody on YouTube, so I hear, with over a million subs, YouTube's going to monetize you because they have a financial stake in it. Yeah. But they try to stifle you. Uh, yeah. You know, so they're, it's a teeter, you know, it's a weird financial game for them. Because mm-hmm. if you have that many subs, they know people are watching. And so they monetize it. They're going to make revenue. But yeah. politically, they don't like, you know, Demo Ranch or Hickok or, you know, any of the other folks. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of just re- reiterates that ultimately <laughs> money, uh, you know, my dad used to always tell me, say, what's the golden rule? And I'd be like, oh, do to others as you'd have them do to you. That's that's what the original one was, right? Um, But my dad said, nope, that's not the golden rule. I said, what's the golden rule? He who has the gold makes the rules, <laughs> you know? And, and it's true, like in, in these ages where we live in, where everything's censored and uh, ultimately if you if, you're saying stuff on instagram and they shut you down i've had some of my posts like taken down within nine seconds whereas if i were to go to them and say listen here 
I'd like to put this little campaign together. Here's, you know, I don't know what a big number would be to them, but if you give them a big number, they're going to say yes, even though they are against it, they don't believe in it. It's money, right? And, you know, same thing with these YouTube channels. They'd be so foolish of YouTube, even though they don't want that stuff out there. They'd rather people not watch their videos. The fact of the matter is they're getting millions and millions of views every day. And there's thousands of dollars of ad revenue every day that they could be making, you know, money trumps all. Yeah. One of the, I don't know anymore, but one of the largest uh, short-term advertisers you two have was Simply Safe. Oh, really? And their corporates told, because there was a big to-do um, with people in within YouTube not wanting, you know, we don't like gun channels. We don't like knife channels. We don't like blah, 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 because they're not ad friendly. And Simply Safe was like, what do you mean? They're, we like those channels. You know, and this is the some of the people who started the company saying, I subscribe to, you know, this channel, that channel, and the other channel. I, I, I don't, why is it not ad friendly? Because I'm your ad guy. I mm-hmm. pay to advertise my company and I like those channels. So what is it? That's not ad friendly, you know. So, and eventually, simply say stop that and went directly to the channels and started sponsoring them. Hmm. That's crazy. Yeah, it's interesting how it all works, you know. Um, yeah, it's it's cool. I was listening to um, a, a Joe Rogan podcast yesterday, his most recent one, and like they're talking about uh, same thing with podcasting right like the mainstream media hates podcasting the the radio shows and stuff and advertisers like they're they're just like what do we do with this right this it's become the wild wild west again and same thing with youtube i mean within reason anybody can put some content out there they could make a show they could share something they could you know you can make your own nightly evening news based on the way you see the world and put it out there you know, and it's it's just open up the door. It's it's take it's like gotten rid of all the gatekeepers, uh, for you know, visual things to watch and and information, and now it's just anybody's game. So it's kind of it's kind of exciting. And then it's also you know with these you know they're that not friendly to advertisers. It's interesting to see how this thing's playing out. And it it's kind of a dance, right? It's like okay, we're gonna try this. You know, there was the adpocalypse, and they went extreme to one side and and. You know, they'd be super careful. And then right before that, though, I mean, they were monetizing ISIS recruitment videos, you know. And so it's these things. It's it's all being figured out as we go. And it's kind of interesting to see it all happening. Well, they were breaking the rules, their own rules anyway, because that. I know, at least here in America, that the, the federal law that protects, you know, the YouTube, Instagram and social media companies like that that uh, provide a platform for content creators is we're not producing we're just a platform we're the billboard we don't write the message but then it also says you can't uh, censor this stuff right with the exceptions being um, Good Samaritan items uh immoral or illegal well beheading someone's illegal so those videos should not have been on there yeah 
ISIS is a um, recognized terrorist organization, at least for us Americans. So those videos shouldn't have been on there because they're yeah. illegal. Yeah. You know. So, ISIS is, is definitely, we have the same view of them. Uh, did you ever hear about the, there was a soldier. So in, in, I think it's in Ottawa, we've got a memorial. It's called like the Memorial for the Unnamed Soldier. Right. And all those that were missing in combat and they've got a statue there and 24 seven, the, the Canadian military has a guard, a, a soldier on guard facing it. Right. He's an armed soldier. And did you ever hear about this? I think it was like five or six years ago. There's an ISIS terrorist. Uh, he had actually been working in the Middle East, came back into Canada and he actually walked up to the guy and shot him in the back, killed him. Yeah. And long story short, and this has actually happened is he obviously, you know, they, they took him down, took him to jail, blah, blah, blah. It's not like he was out at large or anything like that. And Justin Trudeau ended up apologizing for the way that he was treated because he was treated quite brutally as he should have been and released him. And then as a form of compensation, gave him $10 million of taxpaying dollar money. And that's a fact. You know, he should be hung right next to Trudeau. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, he actually bought, like, I'm in, from Calgary. You go three hours north. There's a city... Edmonton, Alberta. It's actually Alberta's capital city. And he bought a strip mall. So this ISIS terrorist who killed an, a Canadian soldier, shot him in the back, now owns a strip mall with money that he was given from Justin Trudeau's government. Trudeau has done nothing but empower now um, anyone, terrorist or otherwise, to kill a Canadian military member. Exactly. How do you get ahead in life? Well, in Canada, just shoot somebody in the back and then tell the tell the prime minister that you're treated poorly and then you'll get 10 million bucks. Yeah, he shouldn't have been able to tell anyone he was treated poorly. No. You know, from the time he shot, and I'm sure that there's some sort of security footage, so we have video. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, throwing it out there. I know because our unknown soldier, the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, there is video surveillance, so I'm sure it's the oh, same. Yeah. yeah, we do, 100%. So 100%, you know that Bob killed the soldier, so Bob should have been killed on the spot. Mm -hmm. That's just, you know, Todd's view of the world. Yeah, no, I'm with you, 100%. Anyways, that was quite the divergent uh, little path from talking about YouTube monetization to... to uh, the original segue, yeah. Yeah. How to make money as a criminal in Canada, <laughs> but well, this uh, next week we should um, dedicate to um, all things firearms. Yeah, we could do that. Uh, I think I'm going to be a little bit embarrassed at my lack of knowledge because <laughs> I'm a gun fanatic. I love guns. I've always had guns. I've grown up with guns, but um, uh, part of the thing is it's hard to get into guns in Canada. We can talk a little bit more about it here, but. I had the basic, you know, like my first gun my dad gave me, I think I was five, was an old Cooey 22 long rifle. Um, single shot, you know, you click the bolt, you pull the pin back and shoot. That thing is so accurate. It's insane. I've seen my dad take magpies out of the sky with that one handed. He's like, see that bird? And I'm like, yeah, it would be flying. Boom, done. I've seen him do that a few times. Um, this is a gun my dad grew up with when he was a kid. Um, but yeah, other than that, like, I'm for the viewers, uh, I guess, kind of to, to juice up next week's episode. Uh, you are a an avid gun collector. 
and also a trainer. Is that correct? I'm a, a gun collector, uh, a trainer in the use of and tactics, and I'm also a gunsmith. Wow. Yeah, no, I'm I'm just the guy who's got a couple of couple of guns in his gun safe. So that that's gonna be an interesting episode. I wanna I've got some things I'd like to talk to you about, questions I have, and then also I, I think too an interesting perspective. Like there's certain parts about gun ownership as an American that I'm really curious about, and I haven't I haven't had a, a platform where I can just go talk to somebody about you know. So I think it'll be really interesting. I'd like to pick your brain, and you know I have preconceived notions of what I think it's like, but it'd be kind of interesting to hear from you what it what it's actually all about and and as a trainer what i've always done is i take a common sense approach logical real world because i've been in a uh, a gunfight or two and a lot of the things that trainers t- teach nowadays is absolutely just hooey mm-hmm. um in fact we had one of my wife's friends was just visiting us she's a middle-aged female that it no longer feels safe and she wants to get a firearm and concealed carry permit. So I was giving her the basics and uh, let her shoot, you know, five or six uh, guns of mine for the first time. She found one that she was uh, really good shooting because that's the key, right? You find one that you're good shooting. You don't have to like it. Um, you're not going to marry it, but you need it to save your life. So it's not a beauty contest, people. It's what you're good at what you're good yeah. with, you know, because the handgun that I carry every day, it's not my favorite, but it's, I'm really good with it. So that's all. It yeah. Counts. Yeah, for sure. But we can talk about some of the things, you know, uh, all, all the rage nowadays are top five list, top 10 list, do this list, don't do this list. And I can tell you some of the uh, hooey that's out there. All right on. I'm looking forward to that. I think that'll be a good show, and it's kind of easy for us because we've got a, a topic to look forward to. And I think that's a probably a good place to wrap this one up. Absolutely. I, I enjoyed this conversation. It had a couple of different topics in there, and uh, hopefully you, the listeners, have enjoyed it as well. Um, yeah. I'll put some information in the show notes of, if we think of things that we talked about. Maybe they're interesting. Uh, we'll try to make the show notes a, a bit of a resource so that if you want to dive further into some of the stuff we're talking about or even have a little clarity, what were we talking about? What on earth was that ring that they're talking about? That information will be there. And uh, Todd, thanks again for your time. I really enjoyed it. I was looking so forward to this today. I dropped my boys off at their, their ground school so they can learn how to fly planes and stuff. And I came back and uh, the whole way back, I was like, oh, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to this. So I appreciate your time, sir. No problem. Where can uh, folks find you? Yeah. They're looking All for right. you. Sorry? Where can folks find you on social media if they're looking for you? Okay. Uh, simple. I guess my main Instagram is simplelittlelife.ca. And then I've also, I, I don't know. It's, it's one of these things where I wanted to keep that one more, I guess, air quotes business. So it's related to videos or related to knife making. And then I have a personal Instagram account and it's just Jeremy the Gertz uh, because Jeremy Gertz was taken already. Um, but it's one of these things when you have so many options, it's kind of hard to keep everything active. So, um, yeah, probably the, the number one place would be simplelife.ca. And how about yourself? On Instagram, I'm just Todd Fuss, T-O-D-D-F-U-S-S. And I, I think I have two subscribers on my uh, YouTube, which is Todd's Workshop, all one word. 
And if anyone wants to subscribe, please feel free. I want to be the have the most subscribers for the least amount of videos. <laughs> I I've actually found a channel. This person commented on my videos like years ago saying, help me get to 100 subscribers without any videos. <laughs> and they were just about at 100 subscribers with no videos. <laughs> so you might have to get a bunch of subscribers and then delete your videos and then you can win. Oh, I look forward to that. I look forward to, to the stuff you uh, are going to start putting up there. And uh, it should be a lot of fun. And now you have eight followers on Instagram. Oh, there you go. I, I did Jeremy the Gert. So. Well, thank you, sir. Other guy. That. Uh, Jeremy. What's that? I found the other one that's just Jeremy Gertz, and I'm like, hey, that's not Jeremy. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what's funny is that I, I originally had Jeremy Gertz as Instagram, and that was my first Instagram. And the Instagram will let you change your name, but you can't change it back. And so I had Jeremy Gertz, and then I changed it to Simple Little Life. But then when I changed it, what did I do? I did something and I accidentally typed in .ca because that was like the website that I had at the time. I uh, still do. Um, but, but I had for about like a day or two, I had Simple Little Life, nothing else. And then I, I made a tweak and I did something and I accidentally changed my name and I tried to get Simple Little Life back, but I couldn't. So I lost Simple Little Life, which I had. And now I'm simplelittlelife.ca, which is kind of annoying, but what do you do, I guess? You can't, obviously, you can't call people. It's like, where's the customer service line? I made a little mistake. I need to go back to my old name. <laughs> that doesn't exist, right? Oh, my God. Facts. Reach anyone at Instagram or YouTube. No. No. It's just a big conglomeration, and, and they give you stuff. And if you like it, good. If you don't, well, you can go move on. But I guess with that, we'll wrap up this episode. And I'll say thank you to everybody for listening. We really do appreciate it. Uh, if you're enjoying this show and you'd like to see more, definitely subscribe, put this in your, your feed and then uh, giving uh, reviews and likes uh, on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever it is you listen to podcasts, that's helps get the ratings up there. And I don't know, people say it puts a show in front of more people, but I still don't understand the algorithm that makes it happen. But either way, we do appreciate it. And uh, I'll sign off saying thanks so much. Appreciate your time. And we'll see you guys next week and bye-bye. Bye.